let's pray for God's help as we reflect on those words. Lord God, we thank you for your gift of grace again in Jesus Christ and your love for us and that you want to work uh, with us and in us and to change us. That's why Jesus came. Help us to be changed uh, now and as we go forwards for the rest of our lives, as we look at these words, uh, help me, help us all to hear your voice and know your love. Amen. Look, think about the town that we live in. You might live in Jarrow, you might live in Heaven, you might live somewhere else. What does your town need? What jobs does it need? What kind of workers does your town need to have? Maybe it's got those workers already. Maybe your town needs teachers and staff in the schools. Maybe it needs more doctors or more police. I don't, it's hard to know where in Heaven the police are. They used to be, I remember when we moved here, they used to be in the police station, still there, then in the in the hub. I think they're now in the fire station. Um, but yeah, where, where do you get find a policeman these days? It's not easy sometimes. The fire service, we've still got that uh, nearby. Uh, but we also need other things, don't we? We need uh, shopkeepers. People need to buy things to eat and uh, things, things that they need. Shopkeepers, we need banks. I mean, it, it's a bit sad, isn't it? When a bank closes down, where do you go to cash a check or anything like that? Uh, we need uh, tradespeople, don't we? People with skills. We need uh, builders and uh, plumbers. We need people to collect the rubbish. Uh, we need all kinds of people, don't we? We even say this slightly hesitantly. We need politicians. <laughs> we, need, we need people to represent us and to make decisions. And, and boy, do we need some good people who will get together and, and work things out, don't we? Because we're, we're in a bit of a mess there. We need uh, businesses, don't we? You can employ people, whether it's manufacturing or whatever. We need all kinds of jobs. But look down with me at, at verse 5. If you've got a Bible open, it may appear on the screen as well. Verse 5. And look what job is required here in this verse. Paul is writing to Titus. This is what he says. The reason I left you, Titus, in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. In other words, the answer Paul says is, what does every town need? It needs church leaders. Church leaders. Now, disclaimer at this point, I'm obviously, in a sense, a church leader. And this passage is about church leaders. I'm determined to not, this, not make this sermon about me. There's nothing worse than the preacher preaching about themselves. But actually about church leaders generally. Part of the reason for me to do that, apart from being good practice, is that Paul says, if you notice very carefully, he says, appoint elders. It's a plural, more than one, elders. There's more than one leader meant to be in these churches, more than one. So yes, it might be about clergy, but you could extend this passage to anyone who has a leadership role. And I'm looking around the room, and there's a lot of people in leadership roles here, whether you preach or whether you lead a home group or you lead the children's groups, and a lot of them have gone to their groups to do that this morning whether you're, uh, you're, you're having relief from that, being in here as well. Or if you're a church warden, or we could think more widely about bishops, we could think about all kinds of people who are in some sort of leadership role. Could be to do with the music, could be to do with leading our prayers, leading our Bible reading, as Benjamin did this morning. There's all kinds of roles of leadership. And of course, it gets more acute the, the more kind of the overall the responsibility is. So a vicar would be the acute end of things. But whatever a church calls its leaders, whether it calls it a pastor or an elders or vicars, I'm just going to catch all of those ideas in the term church leader. Church leaders. And Paul says in verse 5, every town needs good church leaders. 
Why is that? It's because every town needs good ch- a good church. Paul says that is the number one thing Jesus wants. He wants good churches to be all over the world in every town. In fact, Jesus said it is the church that shines as the light of the hope of the gospel to the world. Now, that is a vision that we at St. John's have bought into, the PCC have bought into that. We want to be a better church here at St. John's. And please, 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 as a side, tell me if you think we can do things better. I'm sure we can. I know we can. If you've got ideas about how, please tell me. If you think I can do what I'm doing better, please tell me. It's no use telling someone else. I won't know unless you tell me. And I'd, I'd love to hear. I know, I'm, I know I'm not perfect. Please tell me. Talk to me. But we don't just want St. John's to be a better church. We want good churches to be everywhere. So what we're doing as a church, and we bought into this vision, is we are talking to other churches in the region and wanting more stronger churches to exist here. A church with, that, that is good with a good leader. Why, does that, why is that necessary? Well, Paul writes to Titus. He says, I've left you in Crete, not for a holiday. I know some of you have been there on holiday. Nice beaches and all. Not for a holiday, but because Jesus wants people to be saved. More than he wants people to have a nice holiday, he wants people to be saved, to be forgiven, to have eternal life. He wants them to be saved from sin that leads to death. He wants to save them from that death. And Jesus wants people to know the truth, this good news that he died to save them, forgive them. He wants people to know that and to have their lives transformed. It is the truth that leads to godliness, isn't it? The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live godly lives, as we've been saying this morning. So what's best for a town? What will transform a town from being a place of deprivation or a dangerous place to walk around the streets at night to a place of peace where everyone is thriving? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the answer to the great problems of our society. That is why we're disunity, because the gospel is not believed in in our nation. And the gospel needs to be proclaimed. What do you need for that? You need good, strong gospel churches. Communities of faith like this one, which we aspire to be, where people love each other even though we fall out. Yeah, well, that happens. We love each other. We forgive one another because of the gospel. And that shines out to the community and says, look, there's hope. There's a different way of living, not living in anger and frustration and bitterness, but living in peace and forgiveness with God and with each other that shines hope to the wider world. And Paul says to have churches like that, you need good leaders, gospel leaders. Verse 5, the reason I left you, Titus, in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished. It's unfinished work for Crete and for Titus. You need to appoint elders, leaders in every town. That's what I've told you to do already. I directed you to do so. And Paul goes on in the following words to point out two aspects of what makes a leader a good leader for churches. A leader that will help a church transform the way they are that will have a positive effect on people's eternal destiny. And what what are these two marks? The first is this. We need church leaders who live godly lives. We need leaders who live godly lives in churches. Want to know whether a church leader might be godly? How do we know? Paul says, look at their private life. Verse 6. An elder must be blameless faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Never has a verse made me tremble as much as that. Now, blameless here, just to go through these words, an elder must be blameless. It does not mean perfection. But it does mean someone who lives 
a life that is marked by holiness, a life that is not marked by willful, deliberate, flagrant, uh, flagrant sin, but someone who is striving to live a life of innocence. Now, none of us do that perfectly. Paul would say in 1 Timothy to another church leader, it's not about perfection, but progress. And how do we see this in their private life? Well, they're committed to, to faithful marriage, faithful to his wife. Now, this passage assumes the leader will be a man. I'm not going to go into the issue today of whether it should be men. What about women? Other passages speak more on that. But leaving gender aside just for today, this person is someone who keeps their marriage vows. They're not someone who sleeps around or even is flirting with anyone of the opposite sex. Literally, as it reads, a one-woman Man, that's how it reads, not in serial relationships. And their children, assuming they have children, must be believing too. That's what it says, that their children believe. Now, this is assuming that actually they're believing when they're little. We all know this as parents, don't we? You can't force your children to believe. Everyone grows up as they get older, believing what they want to believe. But if their children are little, are they brought up believing? In other words, is this parent teaching their faith to their children? Because if they're not teaching their faith to their children, well, what will make them teach their faith to anyone else? They can't teach their faith to the children. If their children are not coming to church believing, being part of the church family, well, how can they look after God's family? That's what it says, isn't it? In verse 7. Verse 7, since an overseer manages God's household. Well, how do they manage their own households? In terms of faith that will impact how they manage God's household it's God's church not their church they're stewards of it and this is very different from secular leadership isn't it because secular leaders will say it's my private life you don't need to look into that don't need to worry about what I do in private yeah yeah okay you might have had a few affairs but that doesn't matter it's my private life no 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 says Paul with church leaders you've got to look at their private life what are they like what are they like behind that door as it closes? What, how do they live? How's their family? How are they getting on? It's not a perfect family. You, know, you look at our family, we're not perfect. But we're willing to walk in a blameless way following God. Private life dictates public responsibility, doesn't it? So it is in the church. God's church, verse 7. Since an overseer... He changes the word, but it's the same role. An overseer manages God's household. He must be, there it is again, blameless, not overbearing. That is not dictatorial, not quick-tempered, not getting angry all the time, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain, not in it for the money. That incident is why church leaders should not touch money. I have a problem with this because I need someone in this church to look after the money for me and people just leave me with the money. That's not good. I need someone to, could someone step up please and take the money because I don't want to be seen touching it. You know, Billy Graham, many of you have been affected by Billy Graham when he came here. I think he came to Sunderland, was it Roker? And some of you were there, I think. Well, the late Billy Graham, after one of his meetings where he preached, he was photographed driving away with the collection money on the passenger seat and it caused a scandal. People stopped coming in the same numbers to hear the good news of Jesus. He said, that's not good enough. And he said he got someone else to, to look after the money. He never touched a penny himself. Not in it for dishonest gain. Those are the negatives. Not like that, 
But then verse 8 onwards like this. Rather, he must be hospitable. That is having people over regularly. Their home is everyone's home. The vicarage is your home as much as it is ours. Please come and stay and use it. One who loves what is good, it says in verse 8. One who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And reading all of that, you could say, well, we're looking for church leaders who are faithful Christians, because this should be all of us, right? We should all be hospitable, doing what is good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. We should all be like that. We should all be steady in faithful, committed relationships, caring for our children, bringing them up in the faith, whether they're our children or someone else's children uh, in this church family that we, we belong to here. We need to be not dominating, not aggressively angry, not getting drunk, not taking advantage of others, welcoming others. That's just being a committed Christian, isn't it? Surely we should all want to be like that. And that is particularly what church leaders need to be too. Not perfect, but godly. Otherwise, if they're not godly, how can they lead others into this godliness? Is anyone a member of a gym? I, don't know, I think a few of you do go to the gym every now and then. Maybe you don't want to admit it. But I remember once I once was once in a, I once worked for a company that had a gym on site, and it was free, so I took advantage. You know, I don't. I'm not in a gym now because I won't pay to do exercise. You got to pay me to do the exercise. But anyway, that's another thing. But there's this gym, and the thing is, they said, right, well, you have a, you can have a fitness assessment. And uh, you ever had that? You've had a personal trainer or someone help you show how to use the equipment and the weights and all the rest of it and not hurt yourself or hurt anyone else or the equipment. And uh, there's, a, there's a gym instructor or a personal trainer to kind of help you get into shape. But imagine if you were waiting for this first meeting with the personal trainer or the gym supervisor, whoever it is, and they come in and they're massive. And they're stuffing themselves with crisps and chocolate and they've got a massive greasy burger you know, they've got the, the McDonald's or whatever it is. And you see this and you kind of think, hmm, not sure about this personal trainer. Not sure that's going to help. You, you know what I'm talking about? That, that's why they're all six packs. And, I mean, you probably can't tell, can you? But you know what I mean? They're all stacked, aren't they? And they, they look a picture of health and everything else. And you know, they're sort of the, the model gym user, aren't they? What kind of example would it be if they were like that? Well, we need leaders who don't just talk the talk, but walk the walk, living out the faith. They're not just living however they want to live, making decisions about money and their time and however they want to live, but careful about their lifestyle. Living not for people or to impress others, but living for Jesus, living to please, living to honor him. And so that means we need to be careful who we're listening to. Are we listening to people whose lives are marked by this Godliness. Now, there's great value in reading Christian books, aren't there? And, and blogs and downloading other people's sermons because they're going to be better. And there's plenty of sermons better than ones that certainly I preach here at St. John's. I know that for a fact. And we can go and listen to people at Spring Harvest or Keswick. Uh, we're looking forward to doing that this summer and so on. But the question is, do we really know how they're living? Do we know what their lives are like? course the conference organizers hopefully know that i'm sure a lot of them do but actually the mainstay of our spiritual diet has to be people we know doesn't it we know what these people are like we know what the preachers here at st john's are like we know they're living it out they're not perfect but they're seeking to go that way leaders who you can see what their character is being shaped as and 
as I say, we are not perfect here at St. John's. We've all got strengths and weaknesses. I'm, some of the preachers in the room, Gillian's being licensed next week, we've all got faults. We've all got blind spots. That's why it's elders plural, not just one. We need godly leaders. We need to pray. Pray, ask God that we would have godly leaders here, godly leaders in other churches as well. We need church leaders who live, first of all, godly lives. But Paul says we need more than that in verse 9. He says we need church leaders who speak gospel truth. Secondly, church leaders who speak gospel truth. Verse 9, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Don't know if you've uh, had much opportunity to go to other churches. Understandably, I don't get much chance. But I remember when I was training, I had to go to some different churches. And uh, well, I still am being trained, I suppose. But when I was at college, I had to go to other churches. And one church I went to, I don't think I ever heard the Bible being spoken from at all. I remember one sermon was about the windows, stained glass windows. There's this saint here and this saint there. And, they, and it was like being, doing a museum tour. But it wasn't the Bible that was being taught to me. I actually feel sorry for pastors who do that, who just think they're, I don't know when they do it, maybe it's Saturday night, that's not me by the way, but Saturday night and they think, what shall I preach tomorrow? Hmm, have I got any bright ideas? I feel sorry for them because I haven't got any bright ideas. But we have the scriptures to speak from. We need ministers who stick with scripture, God's unchanging message. That's what Paul says in verse Two, God does not lie. He gives us a hope of eternal life. He does not lie. This promise of the gospel is before the beginning of time. It's unchanging, whereas human ideas change. And we need leaders who stick with God's truth that is unchanging and is true. We need teachers and leaders who know it's not their knowledge, but it's God's knowledge and God's truth that we need to be hearing. It's why I'm glad that our bishop, Bishop Paul, he, he, one of the questions at the interview was, what conferences do you go on? I'm going on one tomorrow. I go on that because I don't know everything. It's obvious to me, and I need to be sticking to the truth. As it says, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as has been taught. I need to stick with that truth. The rest of us do as well. Because sound doctrine, as it says there, healthy truth, biblical teaching leads to godliness. Christ crucified. His death-dying love for us, for our sin, motivates us to live godly lives, doesn't it? Nothing else motivates us to forgive others than the forgiveness God has given us. And how that happens is something leaders need to have a deep personal knowledge of, isn't it? So you've been to the gym, now you go to the doctor. And you go to the doctor, and when you go to the doctor, don't you want to be sure the doctor knows their stuff? There's been some cases, haven't there, where some people have lied about their qualifications and they've practiced as a doctor and they've got away with it for often a long, long time and they had no qualifications whatsoever. Where do they get it from? Do they just go on the internet? I don't know. Maybe they say something like this. In their heads they think, well, I can remove splinters. I've done that for my kids and I've given them a cowpole and uh, I know if they fall over and hit the head, a bit of ice, peas or cold compress... That sorts it out. And that is fine medical knowledge for most issues that happen most of the time in everyday life. But often there are issues that need more knowledge and skill. 
And you want someone who has been trained, don't you? Interesting, I remember being a medical student, uh, not a medical student, a student, and there were medical students there. And apparently you only need to get 50% to pass. That's, that's not very reassuring, isn't it? I mean, you know, I remember Josh, my friend, a medical student. Josh, how did you do? You know, I've got, I've got, I've got, I'm probably, I've got 50%. Uh, I, I'm sure they learn more, don't they? Uh, when, when they kind of get, when they, you know, they've got basic knowledge and they need to learn more. But you want a doctor who spent some time training, who studied hard. And that's why it takes a long time to be a senior doctor. That's right, isn't it? You don't just want someone who's just come out of med school to be a consultant. You want someone who's worked hard for that and has been tested and has got the knowledge. Well, if that is true for our physical bodies and maybe even the mental part of our bodies, well, how much more for our souls that are eternal? You want someone who knows what they're talking about, don't you? Someone who has spent some time thinking about these things, who've done some training, who've not just sort of making it up on the fly, but someone who's done a lot of deep thinking about that. And we need church leaders like that. And so let us ask for leaders who will not just tell us what we perhaps all know, though we do need that, but we need those who really know sound doctrine so that they can refute those who oppose it, verse 9. We need to be praying, don't we? Praying for good church leaders, good church teachers. We need to ask God for preachers who will not just encourage and comfort us, but will be prepared to challenge. It's hard to challenge. No one wants to hear a challenge. I don't want to hear a challenge. But I need a challenge. We all need a challenge. We need correction. We need that in gentleness. We need it in love, but we need it. And we need those who challenge the society, those who strayed from the scriptures. In other words, we need people who stick to God's truth. But just to finish, just notice what Paul doesn't list here in this passage. What does he not say? He doesn't mention a sense of humor. That's a good thing, a sense of humor. But he doesn't put it in the list, does he? He doesn't talk about their clothing. He doesn't talk about their appearance or their complexion or their age. Now, there are other lists that Paul gives for church leaders. And one Timothy's got another list, but it's very similar to this one. In none of those lists does he mention amazing communication skills, though that is a good thing, don't get me wrong. But it's not in the list, is it? It's not listed. Now, of course, those things are good, but they're not on these lists. Godliness and gospel truth. Well, why are these things that we often look for in leaders not mentioned? Why is it just the bare bones of a godly life and, and sticking to the truth? Well, maybe it's because of this. It's because God's work is done God's way. Not our way. It's not done by impressive people. If it's impressive people, all the glory goes to the person. It's, it's person's work, not God's work. And you and I look and see impressive people with our eyes, but God's power is demonstrated in ordinary people. Quietly, godly people. Faithfully, believing the truth people. In other words, people like you in this room. So perhaps God is saying to some of us this morning, could this be you? Are you seeking to live a blameless life? Are you sticking with the truth? Well, that's all the qualifications Paul would say, yeah, you're fine, go and be a church leader somewhere. That's what he would say. 
Maybe you wouldn't be a vicar or a pastor or maybe you will, I don't know. But maybe you could be a children's leader or a home group leader. Maybe not today or next week, but maybe soon. Could this be you? said at the earlier service, Moses was 80 when he started. Most of you are under 80. Moses was 120 when he finished. You're all under 120, I think. Could this be you? We need good church leaders. Whether they're wearing a dog collar or not, doesn't matter. We need people who are godly. We need people who stick with the truth. Let's pray for that. Maybe some of us are in this room. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you want to transform the world and bring godliness into every town through the good news of Jesus, through the church, and that is all helped by good leaders. Please would you raise up good leaders for us here at St. John's and for other churches in this area and indeed all over the world, people who are godly, people who are holding firm to the truth. Please would you help us to be a church that is led in that truth that leads to godliness. Amen.